Hello and welcome to episode 112 of Virgo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRP. Join me as always is the glorious League Freak, who you can find on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? I'm going very well. Uh, how have you been? Been tidy. Yeah, tidy's I'll always good, up. I guess. Been, been, and been doing some tidying. Ah, uh, have you? Yeah, not not at my office desk. That stuff, that's that's a organised chaos that cannot be touched. But everything okay. else in the house, yeah, I've been tidying up around the house every now and then, earning brownies heard, points. Do you know I've heard that Nathan doesn't have to lift a finger because he's just like, he's that good. He just gets pampered. Well, yeah. Plus, he's he's always got a a, a clean area. He cleans everything. Yeah. Just a normal human. He doesn't make a mess. Nah, nah. It's it's almost physically impossible for him to do so. Yeah, one hundred percent. Man, he's so good. He is. Um, should get him on one day. We should. Hey, we talk to yeah. him about what it's like being so good. Being Nathan. Yeah. Just the Nathan lifestyle. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, out of the two of us, this is the story I didn't know about until I read your Twitter account today. So, um, big news. And we're going to talk about this with a bit of a twist today. Yeah. Um, Australian Rugby Union is set to be ditched by Foxtel as Optus agrees to a $30 million deal uh, per year over five years. Foxtel has withdrawn its offer to show the Super Rugby, the National Rugby Championship, and the Wallabies Test. However, they haven't completely shut the door on the deal with Rugby Australia. But it's it's hard to see how one could possibly happen, given that Optus being a long-time rival of of Foxtel, mm. and now, you know, at the moment, they're the sole share uh, rights, rights holder. But uh, $30 million a year. It's nothing. It's absolutely nothing, and you know this for a deal. The the articles have all said that the uh, the deal that Optus offered was quite a bit more than what Foxtel was offering, and the deal doesn't kick in until twenty twenty one through twenty twenty five, which is five years. Um, so yeah, I mean this is a the thing that got me that it was the thirty million per year, and as I said on Twitter, that wouldn't cover the salary cap. Uh, or even the NRL club grant to three NRL clubs. And that's shocking for an entire sport. And they've got to use that money, the ARU, to not only fund their four super rugby teams, but their test team and the National Rugby Union uh, club competition, which is, I mean, it's park football, but also everything below that as well. And I just can't believe how low that is. And it's devastating. It, it really is. I, I, we've, we've, you know, we're a rugby league fans, so obviously we, we, you know, take the mickey out of rugby union whenever the hell we can. Um, but if we're dead serious for a moment here, I did think I'd see the day when rugby union would be getting a TV rights deal of $30 million for a year. I mean, that is just, that's not even worth sneezing at. No, it's, uh, I mean, it's less money per year than the NRL has put in the bank some years. For their war chest, they're not going after Latrell Mitchell, by the way. Um, no, that's true. And, and, well, we can't afford him now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's incredible. It's really incredible, and you know it shows how far down the 
the totem pole rugby union in Australia has fallen. At one point, the Super Rugby competition was like one of the top selling points for mm. Foxtel overall. Uh, and now they, it's just like they won't even take it on board unless they get it for a bargain basement price. The uh, Foxtel has lost a lot of money in recent years and they're looking at getting rid of a lot of sports that don't rate. And Rugby Union hasn't been rating in Australia for a very long time now. And I guess they're the first sport really that the cut is going to be absolutely savage. And I mean, it's got to signal a lot of, a lot of panic in rugby union because I don't know how you can run a sport that's earning that little amount of money when your your closest and nearest competitor is just is earning like a I think it's something like one hundred and eighty million dollars a year just out of the TV deal that they've got. Yeah, it's not even it's not even in the same ballpark. All rugby union can do out of this if they can survive this five-year period, is they need to come to an arrangement with any free-to-air TV network they can and say, we will take whatever you're willing to throw at us, but in return, we want you to pl- to show as many rugby union games as you physically can, be it National Rugby Championship, Super Rugby, whatever it is. They need to build their audience from the ground up again because they've lost them all. They're gone, yeah. And the, But the other thing is too, like we just had the Rugby Union World Cup happen and it was in a really, really friendly time zone, just perfect for Australia. Mm. Yeah. It didn't really didn't make a ripple, really, did it? Like, no. It just and so when they do get on free to air TV, it's almost like it's like an anti advertisement for the game because you can watch like four NRL games a week on free to air TV and see what happens in them, and then you watch any rugby union game out of the ARU. And you're just like, this is a ruined game of football. Um, it's devastating. It's absolutely devastating for the for rugby union. And it leads into something you and me have talked about doing an episode for a while now. And yep. we thought we might as well do it now, now that it's uh, it's a little bit topical. Yeah, so the idea was, and I'll say this, say this on the top, this is an idea that uh, the Freaky put to me. And I thought that's a very unique idea for a conversation. So here we go. Should the NRL buy Rugby Australia? And here's my thinking, right? Rugby League has taken over touch footy to a certain extent. Maybe not completely, but they're at least under the umbrella now. And touch football has got a lot out of that relationship. It's got a massive profile now because of it. Yep. Uh the NRL is a really good gateway to, I mean, you look at the nines, the world nines, you look at women's rugby league. I mean, the women's rugby league has gone, it's really kind of exploded now that the NRL has taken it on board. If you are rugby union in Australia, there are worse things you could do than to sign sign the papers over to the NRL, get on the gravy train, but do it, only as long as the NRL signs up to protect certain parts of rugby union in Australia. So for the short term, you would say that they basically run business as usual. And that might be business as usual through to the end of that TV deal in 2025. But going forward from there, 
there's got to be some sort of blueprint that you would put forward to the NRL and say, look, if you do take over, we want a few things in place for basically you running rugby union in Australia. And one of them, I think, would be a national club competition. I think that they would probably get rid of the super rugby competition to a certain degree. Um, because I I know that there are other countries, South Africa and New Zealand, have questioned their involvement in it from time to time. And the involvement of Australia and the TV audience that we have here has kind of just held on, held it all together. And now mm. that's not going to be the case anymore. I mean, it just isn't. Um, I also think that New Zealand, to a, a, a funny sort of extent, felt that they got something competitive-wise uh, out of playing Australia and our players more often, but that's long gone. That's out the window. And so New Zealand could run their own competition and be fine. South Africa has long looked at linking up with the European time zones and, and running their own comp or joining up with European competitions for a long time. So I don't think the idea of dissolving the Australian rugby union super rugby teams is a bad idea, you know, especially if it saves money. And if it turns into having a national rugby union club competition, it probably is the way to go just for saving money, which is what rugby union now is going to have to be doing themselves anyway. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd be open to the idea of keeping super rugby, but only having Australian teams in it. Maybe have a few Pacific Island nations in there. Um, but yeah, there's no need for a New Zealand uh, team because they've got a elite low in a domestic comp as it is, especially with yep. all those teams are, you know, all those players going back there. Um, same, same would go for South Africa. Rugby unions dominate. It's a dominant sport over there, so it'd be fine. Mm. Um, yeah, and they could start with a, a Super Rugby comp in Australia where they just go, right, let's see if we can build at least one team in each state. Mm-hmm. And then from there, work in a few other teams and just get to a 10 or 12 team competition. And just have it as a genuine nationwide thing. So you yeah, can still have the Waratahs playing the Reds. You can still have the Rebels yeah. playing against you know the Reds and stuff like that. But just just work on that basis. Now, here's the thing. Just say the NRL now owns everything, okay? Um, and I'm, I think it would be the only country in the whole world where that's the case, Any, at least out of the major countries. How does the how do you protect rugby union? And where does the NRL where does the NRL draw the line between? cannibalizing i mean they both would be its own products right but the nrl knows that the cash cow is going to be the rugby league club competition and you can't cannibalize that so how do you protect that but at the same time being a custodian of rugby union in australia and that's where the balancing act really becomes it it, i can understand where rugby union people are horrified but how do you do that do you reckon i think the way to do it okay is the the ownership would be solely done by the NRL so that they get rugby union on TV. Mm-hmm. That would be it. Everything else about the game, about the uh, ownership would be essentially the NRL being majority share owners of rugby union. So 
you don't get, for, for example, Tog Greenberg making decisions that impacts on what Rugby Union does. Mm-hmm. He sticks solely to Rugby League. The IRLC runs Rugby League. Um, the one thing they should do is immediately sack Raylene Castle. Yeah, I think that would be a, a given. <laughs> that, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. Ditch her and just get someone in there who knows rugby union, knows how to run the game, and just say, look, you don't need to worry about um, TV rights. Mm-hmm. The NRL will kick in, you know, you get whatever TV rights do, you can, can, okay? And then you come to the NRL when you say, look, we need a little bit of extra money for this, this, and this, and you put forward a proper proposal, the IRL will, or the NRL will go over it and go, we'll give you this much. And you go yeah. from there. Um, okay. And so the NRL would be seen more as a bank that Rugby Union could fall back on. And the idea would be, because Rugby League's helping Rugby Union get back on TV again, mm-hmm. essentially it should lead to Rugby Union getting the viewer numbers back up so it starts getting big TV rights deals. Now, here's the thing, right? And this is the other side of it. Why does the NRL do that? Because the NRL would only do that if it got something out of it. And how does the NRL get something out of it without cannibalising rugby union? And it's it's a very difficult question. Like, I, I think that the NRL right now has the luxury of doing absolutely nothing and just watching, right? And rugby union's going backwards in Australia. That's pretty clear. But if... The, if, rug, if Rugby Union in Australia was run by the NRL, the things I could see that it could use it as a positive for Rugby League in Australia is, I guess, for Rugby Union World Cups, there'd be no problems with players switching back and forth really quickly. So if, say you get someone like, uh, just tossing up a name, say Kalen Ponga, right? He says, look, I'd like to play in the next Rugby Union World Cup. He doesn't have to go and switch codes for three or four years to do that he might be able to turn up in the like and play six months of rugby union or something or even a few months you know depending on how they feel he can make that transition quickly and so it would allow the nrl to tap into the rugby union world cup but i think also that they would probably be looking at just as a talent scouting thing maybe opening a few doors um, you know, that there wouldn't be a huge amount that the NRL would get out of it that they don't already have, but there would be a few little things. And I think the fact that they would run rugby in Australia, like the like rugby, rugby league and rugby union in Australia, would it would be a pretty bloody good position to be in. You know, it would I think the one thing they could do, rugby league, is they could use the combined resources of both codes, not just on-field or financial, but also, um, you know, top-end top sort of officials and administrators mm-hmm. to push AFL down a bit because that's the only genuine threat to both rugby codes. Yeah. Um, and AFL hasn't been backwards about taking the game to rugby league heartland areas. You know, the Gold Coast and the and Greater Western Sydney, classic examples of that. Mm-hmm. Um, those decisions to go there had nothing to do with AFL doing what the AFL, what the AFL thought was in its own best interest. 
those two teams were solely about trying to minimise the growth of rugby league in those huge growth corridors. That's all it was. Mm. Um, and it's kind of failed in both fronts. Mm. But they've got the money in the nows to be able to, to do crazy shit like that. And I think if you had two football codes aligned in league and union with the nows and the power that they've got, it would help to sort of push rugby union up which would it in it would essentially also mean that it would take some something out of AFL, I guess, mm-hmm. because if you've got rugby union big in Sydney again, um, that just means AFL becomes third to league and league and union. Good point. That's a and good so point. It pushes them down, um, and that would then also open the door for soccer, and because. Because soccer doesn't threaten the rugby codes, because mm. players are just different types. Um, it's played different times of the year. Mm. It would it would then allow soccer an opportunity to grow even bigger during the off season, and then all of a sudden you could get AFL being pushed back to being a southern sport game. That would be the only. I don't know how long it would take either, but that would be the only way I could or reason I could see the NRL going ahead with this was be to push down the AFL, and therefore get the reap the benefits of a combined rugby union, rugby league TV rights deal, which could go to bloody, you know, three, four billion dollars. I guess the other thing you have too is now you would have the, the two sports combined. Um, when you go to governments and say we want facilities, you say, look, this is for rugby league and rugby union, which is a, another big thing. Um, yep. And I guess the other thing is, too, when you look at expanding either game in Australia as the NRL, you're bringing in juniors to your system. And, like, right now, any good juniors get, like, taken up by the NRL. That's just how it is. Um, And you see that now with the way that the Australian Rugby Union's team um, performs on the field. Like, all the good youngsters, they play rugby league now. Um so that I guess that's another thing. When you go into governments, you've got that that carrot of like we're both the rugby codes. the The other thing I wonder about is how it would work when the when the NRL goes to the table with World Rugby and they're running the show in Australia. I think World Rugby would bloody hate it to the point where if they could veto it, they they would definitely do so. But if they weren't able to do that and something like this did go through, it makes me wonder how the NRL could have any influence on rugby union in the world. And the, the other big, big one is I wonder what the New Zealand rugby union, who's got a little bit of a different outlook on rugby, you know, and how it should be played and how it should be run, to for them to now have this just absolute monolith next door all of a sudden that they can team up with and maybe push through some rule changes. Be interesting, wouldn't it? It certainly would. And, yeah, I, it's, it's definitely a, a discussion that's quite unique mm-hmm. given the, the hatred that's long existed between the two codes. Um, definitely. Definitely. 
So that's something that needs to be overcome. Which... Although I think at this point, what choice would Rugby Union have? Like well, they, since... they can hate, they can hate all they like, right? Yeah. But if the NRL's turning up and saying we'll put all of this money into Rugby Union, which you don't have, or we can just stand back and watch you just wither and die on the vine. Yeah, that's the thing is, and I suppose Rugby Union could go and bluff World Rugby and say, look, this is all the money we're going to get this year for the next five years. Mm-hmm. Would you get in the way if we said that we were going to go and have have talks with the Rugby League in Australia? Mm-hmm. Just to see what World Rugby would do. Because yeah. if, they, if they fully opposed to Rugby League having any involvement like that, mm-hmm. would they then kick in a big chunk of money to help out Australian Rugby Union. That's a good point. Um, here's the other thing, though, and I remember I remember when John O'Neill made big headlines, I think it was in 1999, where he said he'd like the World Rugby to fund a push for him to buy Rugby League, right? And it was a bit silly for him saying that. But I remember somebody at the, the time, and I can't remember who it was, but it was... I'm pretty sure it was a rugby union type, and I just don't remember who it was. They said the last thing that the world of rugby union would want to see is their profits going to the Australian Rugby Union so that they could all of a sudden have this giant influx of rugby league talent, which would completely change the prospect of play in Australia. So they basically wouldn't want to fund Australia all of a sudden overnight becoming bloody amazing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's why you need to have them as caretaker owners, essentially. And yeah. so you still leave the rugby union with everything running the way it is. Mm-hmm. Just that the NRL gives them that those TV rights, gives them that, that better competition, a bit more financial security and stability, that sort of thing moving forward. Because, you know, down the line, rugby union might find that it's, you know, it, it gets a, you know, it gets a $1 billion TV rights deal over five years, something like that. And rugby league, the NRL can just say to them, look, you know what? We've helped you out. How's about we sell our share in rugby union for two years worth of your, you know, your, your TV rights for $2 billion, $3 billion. Because, and the NRL could just get a massive cash injection overnight. Rugby union is set up. It can go on its own way if it wants to. You know, that's another thing that you could look at way down the line if it wanted to. So that's why I think it'd be good to look at it as a as a share option as opposed to just we completely run everything. I I wonder though like would it be the worst thing in Australia for rugby union if rugby union turned into you pour all the money into the Wallabies team, right? You then you get rid of the super rugby union teams completely. Uh, you can still have your your say uh, New South Wales versus Queensland series or whatever, but then you put the put money into club rugby union uh, in you know every state, and so the because rugby union in Australia is very much a it's almost like it's not a mainstream sport. It's almost like a lifestyle sort of sport. You know what I mean? I'm probably using the wrong term, but it's a uh, you know, they, they like to have their events. They like to have their gatherings. Well, there's and... an awful lot of the, um, you know, the way the game was played and organised and run back in the amateur days still exists. Mm. So it's, mm. it is, 
it's one thing I, I do um, appreciate about it, I guess, is they, they have start, stuck very strongly to their traditions. And that that's a good and a bad thing. Like, you, you need to be able to adapt and change the game as time evolves and as viewers evolve and stuff like that. And that's something that Rugby Union has struggled to do, and Rugby League's done perfectly fine since day one. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to also forget a lot of your traditions because, you know, as, as AFL's shown, they've shown that you can stick true to your tra- traditions, mm-hmm. which means you've got these massive fan bases watching the game and, you know, going to the venues and watching games. They've got big membership numbers for clubs and stuff like that. Um, so you, the tradition works there, but you can still evolve the game a little bit to make it more appealing and whatever else for the as the game goes on. It keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, whereas the NRL's kind of... It's it's been it's it's never found itself re, you know that interested in hanging on to old traditions. It's pretty mm. it's been pretty casual about just say yeah you know we'll just ditch that and move on. And the fans have just gone yeah fair enough, mm. and then move with it. So there's not a huge amount of genuine tradition in rugby league compared to the other two sports, which might sound a bit controversial, I guess. So you that, think about it, like what... we don't we don't even have match of the day anymore. Which nah. was played at a big venue, you know, and that's another good tradition that, that was gone, and no one really picked up a kicked up a stick with that left. Nah. See, that's what makes me think of whether a deal like this would allow rugby union in Australia to go back to what it traditionally likes to do, which is club rugby union and watching the Wallabies play. And it, it like if the NRL did take them over, they neither of those things at all bite into the NRL's bottom line at the end of the day. Like they're not losing anybody to those two things. And it might just allow rugby union to be really in rude health in the way that it would more traditionally be comfortable without having to have the super rugby union competition, how that's kind of taken over so much Instead, they could have a bunch of rugby union tests during the year. They could play a bunch of different opponents. Um, you know, they, you could even have, you know, their players come in and out of NRL teams. There might be some sort of, you know, structure they could put in place where, you know, they, they get their fitness up for certain games or you could have players drafted into the teams and stuff like that. Well, just, you could actually have. Mm kangaroos versus wallabies games again exactly imagine something along those lines i mean that would be a massive money spinner for both codes or for for the for the rugby code that would be formed out of it um you know that would be huge and that could only help rugby union just get some get some bloody airtime. you know things like that there's a lot of upsides for rugby union out of it and I don't think there's a huge amount of downside to it. No, that's right. Um, yeah, it's just it's an interesting one because I think ultimately the, the the main question a lot of listeners are going to be asking is why should the NRL do this? Yeah, and we've we've come up with a lot of great things that would help rugby union out of it. Mm-hmm. But what do you think? Are, I don't know. You've touched on a few, but what do you think are going to be the huge benefits that rugby league gets out of owning rugby union. 
the the main ones I think are I think it opens the door a little bit from the NRL for the NRL internationally in terms of the overall rugby thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that's definitely one. I think that there would be players in rugby union that would look at what was happening and they'd be interested. You know, they, I'm not saying they're all going to switch codes or anything like that, but they'd at least look at it and be like, hmm, I wonder how this turns out. I think the idea of having a seat at the table in world rugby would be very interesting for rugby league. Um, and I do, I think, I really do believe that the New Zealand Rugby Union would, and I'm not saying that they're going to say, oh, yeah, you know what, we need to play the ball. We need to, you know, I don't think it would be anything like that. But I do think that the style of play that New Zealand Rugby Union has traditionally liked, it would be interesting for them to have a massive ally to maybe push through even slight rule changes that would help benefit that running style of a code that I think they'd like it to be. Um, And I guess the other thing is, you know, for the NRL to run all of rugby union in Australia, they've, it's just a very big thing corporate wise. I mean, all of a sudden they've got the foot in the door there um, with the big end of town, so to speak, which I think they do anyway, but you know, it's, it just breaks down any last barriers. Um, any traditional places where rugby league is still not allowed, and there's very few of them in Australia, um, I think that they would all be broken down by it. And I guess that it, I, the theory that I think they get most out of it would be rugby union players in the Pacific Islands would look at it as a thing of like, wow, this is a big, big open door to go and play rugby league in Australia. And I think we'd see, I mean, we've seen a massive influx of uh, talent from the Pacific Islands already. I think it would turn into a flood. And I think a lot of those players would come to Australia because they would know, look, if I don't make it as a rugby union player, I might make it as a league player or vice versa. Mm. And it just becomes a a double chance at doing your best, you know. Um, So there's those things out of it. I also think that the the possibility that you could have NRL say, look at the, the women's game. Can you imagine the women's rugby league players being able to take six weeks and go and play rugby union sevens in the, at the Olympics and things like that? I think that's a big carrot. Can you imagine a men's rugby sevens team with like Littrell Mitchell and Callum Ponger in it? I think that's a big thing too. So there are positives there. Oh, there's definitely positives there. I guess, too, the other thing would be with the influx. Uh, this is the thing I, I agree with is the, the influx from the Pacific Islands would be immense mm-hmm. to the point where it may actually lead to the NRL being able to expand to 20 teams. Yeah, and, like, can you imagine if you you go down the pathway of, like, almost dual registration clubs where you say, look, we're... We're gonna we're setting up a regional rugby union club competition or something or a regional tournament, right? And we're gonna set up a club in say we're gonna set up clubs in say Tonga and Samoa and Fiji, but they're gonna be dual registration clubs, so you, you can play rugby league and rugby union. You know, um, there's just a lot of doors you could open up doing it. Yeah, 
but it's I know look I know it's an it's one of the most out there things I've ever put forward and I've put out put forward some pretty interesting ideas but I can't see a downside for rugby union in Australia as long as it's done right and I can see some incentives for the NRL to do it and I think at this point it might just be naturally where rugby overall in Australia leads um but it is out there it's just a it's a little thing to think about I guess I guess it is I think at the end of the day too for rugby league and rugby union mm-hmm. I think both would rather to die on their knees than to be supported by the other I agree and that's that's a, a really tough thing a real massive hurdle that um Either co would have to get over if something was to, was to happen along these lines, but yeah, the 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 benefits for both codes would be immense. And I also think too, if you're the NRL and you look that it look at them getting thirty million bucks a year, and at, between twenty twenty one and twenty twenty five, that's still a little way away. And thirty million bucks when you take an inflation and all that, it's it's very little. The NRL might think well. Let's see what they get in the next TV deal after that, because it might be even less. Well, even it if will it's be exact... it will be because they won't be seen by as many people, so it'll be even harder for them to, to justify getting paid that much. So that's the thing; they're going to essentially a streaming service now. Yeah, and also they've there's a lot of there's a lot of cards that they've played and they haven't worked, and it's like what have they got left? Like they would have to come up with something absolutely immense at this point to get people watching rugby union in australia again and i don't know that they've got any other cards they can play and you get to a point where the nro could just say look we don't need to take them over we could literally set up our own club rugby union competition in australia for a fraction of the cost for like nothing and just do all of this stuff anyway and eventually just take them over naturally they just created their own um, rugby sevens team called yeah, the Australian I mean, Rebels. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I remember years ago, I had this idea where, because remember there was, and this was when Australia was really dom- dominant in international rugby league and really couldn't get a game out of anyone, to be honest. And I was thinking, like, how do you get, and people weren't, weren't, like attending the games because they, they were blowouts. And I was thinking, how do you get people to go and watch Australia play someone? And I thought of like, what if you put on, on the table money for exhibition games against rugby union nations? And so you say like, say there's, I don't know, 2 million bucks on the table. And this is going back a long way now. This is, I must've written this stuff maybe at least 10 years ago. Would have been longer than that, I'd say where you say, look, here's two million bucks to whoever, say, uh, I don't know, even Fijian Rugby Union team, let's stay them, just for talking sake. Two million bucks, you get the money, and you play a, a rugby league test against us. You know, or put up a couple of million bucks for one of the big rugby union clubs from Europe to come and play an NRL club, just as an exhibition game. You know, play rugby league rules, but just see what happens. Um, 
I think that would be interesting, but you could also set something like that up, as you said, in, you know, with the, the NRL setting up its own rugby union sevens team. And they're like, we'll take on anyone and we'll get, and we'll pay her while we do it. It'll be interesting. Absolutely. It would. Um, very interesting topic to discuss. I'll give you credit for that, mate. Yeah. Well, it's something to think about. And, you know, I like things that I've always loved writing things that make people think, and it was just a topic that, you know, it's been, you know, bouncing around in my head for a little while. And when I saw that article today about how little the uh, Rugby Australia is going to get from their TV deal, it kind of was, I think, the time to bring it up on the podcast because... Um, it will look you know, pretty dire. They're, they're screwed. They're absolutely screwed. I don't know how, just with currently what they've got, and what they've got isn't a great deal... I don't know how they fund that. They they need a free to air TV deal, which I dare say they're going to be working on. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this stage, it's going to have to be with either ABC, which they won't get much money for, or Channel Ten looks like their best option to approach. Mm-hmm. Problem they've got is the NRL is going to be looking at a TV rights deal pretty soon as well too, and so a lot of the stations are going to be holding off to bid for that. Mm. So. I don't know, don't know how long rugby union can hold off and wait for, you know, wait wait to fight over the dregs that's left over. I guess because that's essentially what it's going to be at this deal. Yeah, but, and all of the TV stations are talking about the next TV rights for all sports going to be lower, which I don't agree with. I think that for the flagship sports, they're going to be much higher. Like the two, well, the three sports in Australia we've got, which can drive viewers, and I think one of them's fallen off a little bit in cricket. But I think AFL and rugby league, they obviously drive a lot of... They're almost having halo effect, you know, mm. where you're just getting people watching your station because then hopefully they stick around to watch the block, you know, because <laughs> you're flogging the block every 20 seconds. Because um, otherwise they're not watching your station at all. Like, I don't know about you, I don't watch free-to-air TV anymore at all. I can't tell you the, no. la- the. In fact, the last thing I watched were the test matches they had on Jam, yeah. and before that, it was the grand final. You know, I just yeah. don't watch it, and I think that's a lot the, of people are the same. That's the only reason why I watch free to air TV is to watch the games that Fox doesn't show. Mm-hmm. It's just that and simple. It, and here's the thing: if if Fox didn't have rugby league, say Foxtel got rid of rugby league tomorrow, I wouldn't have it, and I know you wouldn't have it. And I know, I mean, they know that people would get rid of it really quickly. Yeah, they did it uh, straight away. Mm, so, and, and I guess to a certain extent, it's similar in southern states with AFL, but there's not too many other sports in Australia that can say that sort of thing. No. Like, if if Fox Dolls said, you know, we're going to ditch all cricket coverage, I don't think they're going to lose any subscribers over it. And if they do, it's not going to be many. Mm. But, yeah, if they were to ditch... AFL or Rugby League, they would lose a ton of subscribers. They would hurt them big time. So yeah. those are two codes which they're never going to get rid of. No, and they need them to, to drive subscriptions. And that's one of the things people forget. It's not just the advertising dollars that those sports bring in. It's the fact that people subscribe to watch those sports. Um, you know, and the, the ratings for, I mean, Rugby League ratings on Foxtel, are, they're, they're number one by quite some way. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and I mean, Foxtel, for Foxtel to say we're out when it comes to rugby union, man, I just don't know. I don't know how they look forward to the future with such a little amount of money to work with. It's kind of shocking. It, the thing that's shocking, just to, I suppose to put into a bit of perspective, is the amount of money that Optus has agreed to pay to Rugby Australia is similar to the TV. It's probably a little bit less than the TV rights deal that the English Super League has over in England. Mm. And for anyone who's ever tried to watch English Rugby League games on TV over there, not not all the Super League games are shown, are broadcast live, if they're broadcast at all. I think they've got a highlight show that comes up on the BBC every week. Mm-hmm. And there's, what, two or three games that are live every week out of the six that are on? Yeah, I think at most they'll get... I think that it might be over uh, Easter they get up to four or five because they play double rounds over a weekend, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's... Like, there's there's a number of games that just aren't shown. So it's not even as though it's all of Super League that you're comparing it to. It's just a few games a week. Yeah. Typically, whoever St. Helens leads and we're going to play Yeah, pretty much. Pretty Occasionally much. Warrington, I guess. Yeah. But it, it's crazy that uh, rugby union is where it is, and I mean the the easiest thing for the NRL to do is just to say, "Hey, good luck. We'll just watch yeah. from afar." Yeah. Do you That's... want any? Do you want any more administrators? Yeah. We got Wallabies. Wallabies. I hear you. Wallabies. I hear you've just lost a coach. We've got a, a bloke by the name of Paul McGregor, who's he's a good coach. <laughs> you need someone to run your your. Recruitment. We've got a potato here. He'd be really good for us. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it, it's it's. Uh, I just find it shocking that where they are. And look, I don't care. I don't like rugby union. But um, the one they, thing out of this, okay, is that yeah. after Australia's World Cup campaign, yeah, and it didn't go too well. Uh, um, they ditched their coach pretty quickly. Yeah. After this TV rights deal, though. How are the people who run, you know, a lot of the, the rugby in Australia not out there calling for Rowling Castle's head? It is a little bit strange that it's not just this overwhelming roar, but I I think there's an apathy amongst rugby union people to the way rugby unions run in Australia. And, they've, and, and I think it shows in their TV ratings and even their attendances and things like that. And... I think that they've maybe hit that critical period where that instead of it being anger, the it, when it turns into that apathy, it, getting it back, getting the passion back, I, I don't think you can do it without something dramatic happening. And that's the problem for them. I don't think there's a dramatic thing that could happen to bring that back for them. I think... I think there might be something, and that is the Israel Folau case falls in favour of Folau, and Rugby Australia has to fork out several million dollars that they literally can no longer afford to dish out. Mm. And there's going to come to a point where they're going to say, we're, we're living literally on fumes here. We're on our knees. Mm. It's going to get to that point. That's when the, the passion will come out. What the hell's going on? We've got to do better. Blah blah blah, and it'll it'll come out of fear of loss. That that well, that passion will come back. 
to the to and, the level that it needs to be. See, and the thing, if they get to that point, just say he wins, and I don't know if he's going to win or not. You you just never know, right? But just say he wins, and all of a sudden they owe him, and I think he was going for ten. Let's just say they owe him five, right? Which is still a bloody whack that that goes towards nothing. It literally just goes straight to his pocket. It's not like he can say, well, this is development and all, blah, blah, blah. Um, So they've got to do a payout for him, and they get into a dire financial position. They would probably look to get a handout from World Rugby, but then if I'm any of the other countries, I look at that situation and say, hang on a second. What makes Australia special to get a handout, you know? And if it's, you know, so that they don't collapse in the face of rugby league, that ship sailed, man. They're so much smaller than rugby league in Australia. That ship sailed. So it's not going to be that. And so at some point, I'm if I'm one of the other nations, I'm like, no, we Australia's got to deal with what it's got to deal with. And if they become one of the minnows in that process, well, then that's the way that the natural order is. And right now, that is what the natural order is, is that they're going to become a, a part, not not literally a part-time nation, but they're going to be one of those niche teams. And I don't think anybody else in the world rugby will give a, a flying fuck about it, quite honestly. No, that's that's quite true. Um, good chat, good chat. Yeah, I'm glad we brought this up. It's, it's a weird one, but... You know, sometimes we can toss up weird, weird things. There we go. Um, speaking of weird things, yeah. Ralph, Ralph Rimmer. <laughs> <laughs> Never has a segue been so bloody fitting before. Um, he's brought out a trio of gold this week. Mm-hmm. So let's go with it. We'll, we'll go with um, We'll go with one. The last two are a bit more linked, so we'll go with this first one here. RFL boss Ralph Rimmer dismisses calls for an inquiry into the events at the Bradford Bulls. Mm. I don't know why anyone would want to look into the acquisition of a club that, you know, plays out of a stadium that is basically owned by the Rugby Football League itself. Why would anyone want to look into that? Well, he said... He insists that the last two years of the Bradford Bulls has not been a disaster. Um, former RFL Chief Executive Nigel Wood is part of a consortium that has taken control of the uh, Bradford Bulls side. The change in ownership comes after a series of financial meltdowns that have included three administrations and a liquidation since 2012. Accounts revealed the Bulldogs run up over £1 million of debt in the two years under previous owner Andrew Chalmers. Yeah, I don't know why he'd want to look into that at all. You know, I don't know why anybody would want an inquiry as to why the few assets that the Bradford Bulls did possess, like, just got pissed away. I don't know why anyone would want to do that. I think that it's far from a disaster, like Ralph Rumor said. And if anything, it's probably the way that a lot of rugby league in the UK is run. Yeah, on the... On the fumes of an oily rag. Yeah. Um, this article here in the Mirror uh, says that Chalmers is a friend of Nigel Woods. Chalmers was handed control of the Bulls by the RFL in 2017 ahead of other bidders, while Wood was in charge at Rugby League's governing body. Um, Wood was also at the helm of the RFL when they bought the lease for Odsall in 2011. 
They're telling me that they still own, even though the Bulldogs will be playing at Dewsbury next year due to the rising costs. Yeah. And so now the Rugby Football League has the rights to the ground and the only tenant doesn't actually play there, which is well done to everyone involved in that. Um, I don't know. What what would need an inquiry? What would have to happen? Because seriously, at this point, if the Bradford Bulls just flat out cease to exist, that would be less messy than what's happened now. Yeah. There's there's a, a long quote here from Rimmer, which uh, I, 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 I kind of laughed a bit at it. So he said, Based on the information we had in 2017, we chose what we felt was the best bid to set up a new club in Bradford. There's been no insolvency this time. It's been the same entity as it was in 2017. That ownership have weathered a significant storm, and this company is still trading, albeit with a million pounds worth of debt in one year Mm -hmm. Um, or 18 months. This has not been a disaster. This has not been a disaster. The club didn't exist two years ago. They've been relegated and then promoted. Beaten Leeds, had a transfer of ownership, got a substantial crowd against Leeds. That isn't a nightmare. He's talking about one or two games against Leeds in this period as as evidence that this isn't a disaster or a nightmare. I think there's more than just one or two games that sums up whether a club's successful or not. Yeah. How, how dim-witted are those comments? Yeah, if this isn't a disaster, what is? Like... It's not exactly a success story. And how must every other club in England feel, given that the RFL have done has spent this much money on one team to keep mm. them to keep them alive and afloat? Not just yeah. not just the team, but also its home ground. Well, that's the outrageous thing. Like it's, it's absurd. It really is, and. You know, I understand that Bradford strategically is very important to rugby league because it's a northern city and it's one of the few cities that can't say it's a rugby league place, you know. Um, And in an ideal world, the Bradford Bulls are in Super League one day very, very soon. And I hope that they get there. I really do. Um, But, I mean, to look at where what's happening with the Bradford Bulls, just being able to say, like, this is one of just four teams that have won a Super League title since Super League came into being. And this is where they're at. How can you then say it's not a disaster? Yeah. And they're playing in Dewsbury. I mean, to have been... This is, this is the pro, I mean, this just proves my point about the whole promotion relegation thing. They got relegated and just financially died several times over. And now they're in this situation. Mm-hmm. It's it's nonsense. And, you know, um, there's something interesting he said there. He said that the team hasn't... the Basically, the new entity of the Bradford Bulls that was created, what, 18 months ago or so... 2017. Hasn't di- yeah, 2017. Hasn't died. It still exists. And I've said this a few times before. I believe that needs to be the case for the Rugby Football League to keep control of Odsall Stadium because I feel like... And I don't know this. This is just a guess, a pure, pure guess. But I feel like if Bradford ceased to exist as a club, even if they restarted a new one, I would bet that the deal the Rugby Football League has on Oddsall just gets dissolved or something, or there's a massive penalty to pay. They'd sell us to Tesco. Yeah. Well, you know. God bless Central Park. (laughs) I love going down the dairy aisle and saying... 
See that? That's right there where Offia used to score his tries, right there, right in the milk section. <laughs> right next to the cheese. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> uh, now, Rimmer, he's, uh, he's doubled down with with his comments. Because, mm-hmm. and I know you're, you're not um, opposed to, you're not one of those people who think that Wayne Bennett's the problem at, at the English Lions. Um, I don't think he's he's the problem either. I just don't think he's part of the solution. Yep, that's fair. Um, but uh, there's a pretty much most of the people in England though think yeah. Wayne Bennett should be out on his ass. Yeah, because it's not them. It's Wayne Bennett. Yeah. Um, but Ralph Rim has come out and he said that Wayne Bennett could very well be given a, a new contract to lead England into the 2021 World Cup. Um. Geez, Ralph's doing some great work for his own PR over there in England, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He must be making lots of friends, eh? <laughs> he's he's I mean, really got his finger on the pulse there in the rugby league community. He's he's he he's here in the room well. He's he's reading the reading the temperature well. He's sitting there on one, you know, those chairs and table and chairs that they put out in front of the soft drink machines. <laughs> he's sitting there talking to about three or four different journos that bothered to turn up, and he's like, you know what? Got to give the people what they want. <laughs> <laughs> More Wayne Bennett. Uh. I, I I do. I think I don't think Wayne Bennett's the problem. I understand. I there were a lot of things that he did that I wasn't crash hot on, but I just know the alternatives and the British alternatives are absolutely way way worse, and will lead nowhere good. At least Wayne Bennett can hopefully get them putting in again. Because the most that they've ever put in was under Wayne Bennett. Yeah. Um, it says here, Rimmer will lead the post-mortem into the uh, Great Britain Lions tour that's just finished, as well as determining whether Bennett will be given a new contract. But he insisted Kevin Sinfield's future with the governing body is safe. Um, Why? Why? Sinfield is in charge of the England Performance Unit, but instead of being subject to review, he will help Rimmer conduct the review into the tour. This is some Paul McGregor type shit going on over there. That really is. That's hilarious. Like he's in he's in charge of performance, and they didn't perform, and so he's going to do a review to work out why they didn't perform. It's like that's his job every single day, isn't it? That's right. And he won't be sub- subjected to the review. Yeah. So what's the point of reviewing performance if the performance coach isn't being reviewed? Who's he reviewing? Like, what's he got to say? Sinfield's going to look down and go right. Let's have a look at the performance review staff. Okay, there's me. Well, I did okay. Tick. Um, must be all these other people then. We might as well just sack them, eh? It's, it's just McGregor all over again. It really is. It's it's like, it's goofy. It's bloody <laughs> goofy. The two people at the top are saying, well, it's not going to be me. It's not going to be the performance director. So, But we're going to review everyone else. Like, come on now. Come on. Yeah. Oh, that, by the way, and if they re-sign Wayne Bennett, then they're saying that it's not him either. Like, yeah. who's left? Everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> some some person in marketing who designed the jumper, they'll get the sack. Apparently, you went to Kevin Sinfield and he said, Kevin, you're the performance director. What the hell happened? And Kevin said, hey, it's okay. I can't sweat. And he was like, oh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I can't sweat. 
Definitely. I can't sweat is the new is the new like you when you can't sweat, yeah. man, you're just cleared. You're cleared. You're you're you are home and hose. Mm, definitely. Now, uh, one last. So Ralph Rimmer now has tripled down. God, this is awesome. He must be like the second dis- most disliked person in English rugby league after me. <laughs> well, I think he's pushing. He's pushing top honors. I think. Yeah, um, even I haven't said this much rotten shit <laughs> today about English rugby league. I've only said two rotten things. And this is all in a week. Yeah, um, good. I'm proud of you, Ralph. He said that the Great Britain Lions tour is not a true reflection of the British game. Of course not. Why would Bro? we start looking at like results? Um, the the team at Love Rugby League have put out this article that says RFL Chief Executive Ralph Rimmer insists that the British game is in a strong position despite the disastrous Lions tour. He Rimmer insists the British game is still at the top with the Southern Hemisphere nations. What? It, He's an idiot. I'm sorry, Ralph. You've lost me now. I had you, I always had your back, pal. But you're a fucking idiot. He said, it hurts when we lose and it hurts the players. It didn't go as planned on the field, but many other things went very well. Would you like to hear what he thinks went very well? Yeah, I do. Okay. It was nice to speak to people about the importance of the World Cup to the squads and their part to be played in the tournament. Okay, conversations, Aww. yeah. That's nice. That's touchy-feely. But it not is. in like, you know, the carry-on. I can't say that. Yeah, it's more about the going but the sweating thing. Can't sweat, um, yeah. In addition to that, we did some work with the International Board and Congress. It's not as if the Australians, Tongans and others are way out ahead of us in their thinking. Can I just bring something up? Mm. The thinking of the Tongans at the International Board meeting. The Tongan Rugby League was dissolved by the government of Tonga, in fact, the king of Tonga, I believe, and Correct. was disavowed by the International Rugby League itself. Mm-hmm. So I probably wouldn't bring them into the conversation of their thinking of fucking <laughs> government the, bodies. It's not the wisest decision. He might nah. as well said, you know, um, we're, it's not like the Zimbabwean Rugby League are that far ahead of us in their thinking. Yeah. <laughs> but let, let's deal with the ones that exist. <laughs> Um, I absolutely believe we have a team that can compete at that level. And are you sitting down? I am. Okay. And win a World Cup. Okay, right. <laughs> I just we we're good, right, Andrew? Because here's the thing: we're going we're going to go you and me, right? We're going to go to England because I've got some magic beans to sell this fucker, and he's going to buy them. Because if he believes that, he'll fucking believe anything. I've got magic ones. They're rainbow coloured and they've got the letter M on them for magic too. You just got to bury them, bruh. Yeah. Don't don't eat them. Just because they taste like chocolate doesn't yeah. mean they're chocolate. They're, they're magic beans. Spit them out, Nigel. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, we could go a long way down that path. Um, I go back to the work we've done with the International Rugby League. We're there to grow nation strengths, and we can't complain when that happens. Oh, so you just let everyone win to help them out. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Did he just take credit for fucking Southern Hemisphere's rugby league teams getting better? <laughs> he did. This fucker wasn't even there when this shit happened. But he's a fucking the, blow-in. To the point where he's saying, we, it's almost like he's saying we let them win to help them out. 
Yeah. Oh, that was nice. It was nice for them to allow bloody Tonga and New Zealand twice and PNG to absolutely smash them. That has been great for the international game, but only in the Southern Hemisphere part of it. That's so, bloody brilliant. What a what a nice, nice bloke to allow that stuff to happen. So I guess to, to quadruple down was the cause. Nah, are this, you serious? He's going to say yeah. some more dumb shit? Well, there was talk that next year, in the middle of the uh, RFL season or Super League season, right. that the English, the England team will head down under to play against the Southern Hemisphere team when they've got France a train right away. They've got yeah. Scotland, who are in the World Cup, who are just a train right away. Mm-hmm. They've got Ireland, who's a ferry right away. They're just around the corner. Um, you could go there. Sure, you need your passport, but you know, you're going to need that to get out of the country anyway once Brexit comes through. So you know what? Who gives a shit? What's the difference? And then there's Wales, who's a donkey right away. <laughs> Only in one direction. Yeah. Yeah. You've, you've only got a donkey road from the border. Look, if you can go, look, if you can fly to the continent, right, you can fly over to, you know, the Emerald Isle, you can go north to Scotland, or you can go back to 1940 and go to Wales. Why can't they do any of that? Okay. I why, just, why can't they it, play all of them? Like, you could have two or three weeks there. Instead of spending that time flying over to Australia or playing against New Zealand and Papua New Guinea and Tonga or whatever it is and playing three games over here, why not just have four games in three weeks or whatever and play against Wales, Ireland, Scotland, France? Yeah. And like you and me said this before, which Southern Hemisphere teams would feel that England off of a plane and jet-lagged would be what they would want to have in the year leading towards a World Cup, right? And we worked out that, like, basically Tonga, Fiji, PNG, and Australia would probably feel like they get nothing out of it, that they wouldn't get out of playing each other, right? New Zealand could probably... New Zealand and Samoa and maybe the Cook Islands are the only teams... Like, the Cook Islands, I think, against a jet-lagged England team, they, they are a real tough prospect for England. But I think that Samoa and New Zealand could really could use the boost that they would get out of smacking England. But that's it. I don't think PNG looks at playing England and says that's what we need. I like. I feel like PNG needs to be looking at the likes of a Tonga or a Fiji and saying, "Look, we need to prove to ourselves we can put one over these two teams because that's the level they're at." That's right. Um, plus, you know. There'd be so much more passion within the the island nations to play against another island nation. Mm-hmm. Yep, one hundred percent. That would have an origin type feel to it, and that's something that we need to be harnessing and, and growing in the international level. Yeah, and these teams in the southern hemisphere, like they're the draw cards. It's not England. Like if say Australia was going to play any of those teams that I just mentioned, I'd rather go and watch those those teams play against Australia then see them smash England again. Yeah, and most most Australian fans will be going for the team playing against Australia. Yeah, yeah. And like just enjoying international rugby league. Mm. Um yeah, I don't know <laughs> who they they'll get someone to play against. I mean New Zealand likes their money, but I don't know who looks at it competitively and says, "Yeah, that's what we want at this point" because I just don't think you get anything out of it. Agreed. Um, 
And it, look, the, the other thing I wanted to say, sorry, was sure. this this idea that they're going to ditch all of these nations around them who would love to play England, and because they're too important, they need to play against the big guns. It's hilarious, and it really shows the mindset of the rugby football league. They, it's it's kind of disgusting, I think, because really them and France and Wales and Ireland and and Scotland. I mean, that's who they should be competing against. It would be so easy, <coughs> so, so easy. And they refuse to. They flat out refuse to. It's gross. Mm. I agree. Um, if I was France, I'd have the shits with them hard. Yeah, definitely. And poor France. France needs something. And the, the problem that they're going to eventually have in England is that France will turn their back on them. And they'll start looking towards the Southern Hemisphere themselves. And the difference between France and uh, England is that France will start taking on lessons. I mean, they'll have taken lessons out of that smashing that they had against that junior kangaroos team. Yeah. Um, th- and they have the ability, and this is something they do in a lot of their sports, they will see where they've got to be and they'll start working towards it. And when that happens and France moves past England, uh they won't forget. Definitely not. Um, while we're on England, uh, just there's talk that the New York City team is going to come into the lower grades there, mm-hmm. and it could be it could be the League One, which I dare say it probably will be, given that's what Toronto had to do. Mm-hmm. There was some suggestion that they could get promoted straight into Championship. Um, I'm the one thing I, I do like about the English comp is that they do have these three tiers, and if you're going to bring in a team from another country, I, I do like the fact they have to go through League One and Championship first because it means that they've had two years to get themselves set and prove that they deserve to be where they are. And you also get to see how competitive they are. So yeah, I if never they get the I, Super League. They earn it. Sorry, sorry about that, Andrew. Um, you're right. I never used to like that. I remember when Toronto was going to come in and they were going to make them go through the grades, and I said that wasn't the way to do it. And I've since changed my mind on that, and I also think that when we bring in a Perth team in the NRL, I think that we should do a similar sort of thing in that in that they start their life in a lower level of the game because I feel as though those first couple of seasons, it just allows the club to, just people within the club to gel and to work out who works best, who doesn't, what they've got to change, and just allows them to find their feet at an area where on-field performance doesn't matter so much because they're going to perform all right because they're in a competition that's pretty easy to perform in. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that you start off in that, that League One competition. I think that would be perfect for them. Absolutely. Um, now, this article which is very hard to read um, <laughs> on the NRL website <laughs> was talking about how the NYC team recently visited the Melbourne Storm mm. and look on the surface you look at that and go well that's a smart thing to do Melbourne Storm are possibly arguably the most successful team in the last 20 years in the NRL mm-hmm. but when you look at them structurally I question whether that's really who the New York City should be looking at. I'd prefer they'd probably be looking at the Broncos, for example, because in 20 years, the Melbourne Storm have, have 
brought through, I think, two, maybe three Victorian-born players, mm-hmm. which just shows that they're not they're not having that impact at grassroots level in the state. And it's it's no surprise given that it's a massive AFL state down here. Yeah. So I'd have thought it would have been better to look at Brisbane and go, look at the junior levels they've got there, look at the junior comps they've got there and, and look how they're making those, um, you know, they filter the best players into the NRL side. I think that would be a, a smarter model to look at. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying the Melbourne Storm one is is garbage, but just the fact that I think for a team starting in a brand new market and wanting to make sure that they build local players, because that's that's the one thing that they're driven by, mm-hmm. I think Brisbane's a better one to look at than Melbourne, because Melbourne doesn't really create local talent. Yeah, and it's it was interesting when you brought that up. I thought it was a really, really good point. And isn't it interesting that the probably the two most successful teams in the last 10 years anyway, in the Storm and the Roosters, they are very top-heavy clubs. They're not real big on uh, having a massive junior league that pours out players for them. You know, they kind of... Mm. They basically cherry-pick the junior players that they want, put them into their the system that they have, and then they're like... I mean, they're, it's a very small system both of the clubs have, but that they're the two most successful teams. And, that like, that's a that's got to be a bit of a worry because that's not what you want. As you say, you want clubs to be uh, like a pyramid and the top team is the top tip of the pyramid, but underneath it there's big junior bases and, and they spend the money developing players because that's good for everyone when that happens. Um, so I agree with you. I I think that you would need more than the Storm. I get running the professional side of it. You want to look at the Storm, but I would also hope that they look at teams like um, the Penrith Panthers, for instance, and how they run their junior leagues, the Broncos, how they run their junior leagues, um, even the Newcastle Knights. You know, yep. the Knights have turned their back on their juniors in, in the recent past, but for the most part, there's been some fantastic juniors that have come out of Newcastle and have filtered once again through the entire competition. So I hope they don't miss that part of the puzzle as well. Uh, agreed. Now... The last story, big news came out today. Um, former NFL player and worst kept secret, Valentine Holmes has agreed to a massive six-year deal with the North Queensland Cowboys. That's unbelievable, hey, six years. I was shocked when I saw that. Mm. I thought they might have gone, eased in with like a three-year deal. I just said, you know, we'll... We'll have a discussion with you after the first year about extending to for the six years just to see how you go with the transition back to the game. But just go or straight up six years, here you go. And it's reportedly just under a million dollars a year, which I suppose is good value for the, for the club. Yeah, I, I mean, even if he comes back, and look, he's he's different to Jared Hayne. Jared Hayne had, it was just at a different point in his career, first of all, was had to change his body a lot to play mm-hmm. in the NFL as a running back and a special teams player. Valentine Holmes, and we looked at him before. He, as you said, he is he's he's got a little bit more in the upper body, but he hasn't had to change his body completely, which is good for his rugby league. Um, so it, I think that considering what he was when he left, 
and his age is only 24. Um, it's not too bad of a deal, but it's still, I mean, it's a big commitment. It's a very big commitment. And I'm just kind of shocked that Valentine Holmes didn't himself say, I'll come back for a year because if I have this crazy good season at fullback, I am a million-dollar player and I can yeah. basically pick my club. I think, though, for, for Holmes, he's, this is the first time he's going to get to live close to you know, his family stuff because they're up around that area there. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a, a poser for you, though? Mm. Given we've seen the likes of Jason Tormalolo, who's been very big in promoting players playing for you know one of the smaller nations. When I say smaller, I mean, you know, instead of playing for New Zealand or Australia, they play for Tonga or Samoa and the like. Yeah. Do you think he will try and convince Valentine Holmes to play for Cook Islands? Oh, man. And how much of an impact would that have on the Cook Islands football team to have Valentine Holmes at fullback? You know, uh, you know what? I, I... The only thing that would work against it is if Valentine Holmes comes back and he's just he's just shows that he's back. He just shows that he can get the job done. I've got no problems putting him on the other wing the other side of Addo Car. I think he'd be he's a different player than Kotrick, but I think that uh I, I think that an Australian jersey will oh, be I'd... pretty close, you know. Yeah. I've no doubt that he will be Australian quality. Yeah. No doubt. Um, but do you think Tom Malolo could convince him to play for the Cook Islands? That's what I, that's what I reckon. I think he might say, I you know what? I think, yeah. We, we should be, because he's got this, Tom Malolo, I think, is one of the, the leaders of the Tongan side there when it comes to getting players to say, you know what? You could play for New Zealand. Or you could play for Australia. But how's about you help out Tong and you play for them? And I mean, we've seen how many NRL players, big name elite players, are now mm. playing for Tonga, Samoa, um, Fiji. Does he only quali- been... qualify for the Cook Islands? Is there anyone else he qualifies for? I think it's only Cook Islands in Australia. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I I'm think. Pretty he, sure I, he, I'm pretty sure as, as a schoolboy he played for the Cook Islands. Wow, that's incredible. Um. He, yeah, he'd be allowed to if he played for Queensland again. Um. Yeah, well, I'll put it this way, right? If he doesn't get selected for Australia, I think 100% he plays for the Cook Islands. That'd be huge. It really would be. And, like, they would have... Uh, like, his addition would be... Hain like I believe when Hain the first time he played for Fiji, um, you know with Jason Taumalolo, I feel he's like going to be one of those markers in history players. Like people are going to say this best player in the world decided that he instead of playing for New Zealand, he was going to play for Tonga, and he did it knowing he was going to lose money. And he not only did it, but he brought like a good dozen players with him that could have played for New Zealand or Australia or whoever. And he took this small island nation and he beat Australia with it. Mm. Like this is stuff that, I mean, it's 
it's all bear stuff, you know. It's this is like one of those players that did it, and there's not many players like that in the whole history of the game. So yeah, I wouldn't put it past home sitting down and talking to Dalmalolo about it and coming out of the other side of it and saying, "Man, I I want to play for the Cook Islands." Yeah, I was just reading his uh, Wikipedia page. It says that he's got a, his mother is from the Cook Islands and his father is a Maori. And Holmes was actually born in Townsville. Okay. So I'd say so you could probably argue that he, he probably qualifies for three nations. Yeah. Yeah, I man, I I tend to think that he, I feel like he'll be on that plane in an Australian jersey, though. Like the player that he – like he was one of those almost like Addo Carr as well. It's like, yeah, pick him. You pick him and you know you'll get yeah. the finisher that you get – at worst you get an 8 out of 10 game out of him. You know what I mean? I mean, just look at his test record. 17 tries in 13 games and eight tries in five origin games. And he's a goal kicker. He's a goal kicker. I'd um, love to know how much goal, how much rugby league goal kicking he was doing in his spare time while he was in the US because I think that would have been a big marker as to um, how he was feeling about going back to rugby league. Like, I feel like when he felt that the NFL stuff was going well. He was probably doing less goal kicking practice. And then when he felt like he was getting that urge to go back to rugby league, that he uh, he was probably doing more goal kicking. Because that goal kicking is such a feather in a player's cap. Yeah, and given that uh, the Cowboys have lost Jordan Kahu, um, he's gone back to the Broncos, I'd assume that uh, Holmes will have to be the, the chief goal kicker at the club. You'd think so. Valentine Holmes is, is Valentine Holmes is one of your favourite players, isn't he? Oh yeah, I'm a huge fan of him. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just has that natural instinct. Mm-hmm. Um, everything he does is you know, he's like one of those players. You hear a lot of people talk about Wally Lewis the same way. Mm-hmm. Is that when he had the ball, he looked like he had so much time to do what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And you saw, I think, you know, Laurie Daly, Brad Fittler, they were classic examples of those players as well. Uh, even Andrew Johns, Darren Lockyer. Lockyer was a classic example. Looked like mm. he was playing slow. Yeah. And then he just would waltz through and you were like, it, it's like it, the game slows down for them. Mm. And uh, Holmes is one who just looks the same way. But it, instead of the game slowing down, he just looks like he's, his anticipation is off the charts. Like, he's seen the future. He knows which way the ball's going to bounce. So he just runs along, and the ball just always seems to magically just bounce up in his pants, and over he goes for another try. And like Just a phenomenal, phenomenal anticipation on him. It's something I hadn't seen in very many players at all. And he just looks to be so calm and composed with the ring he does. I wonder how the extra upper body uh, strength that he'll probably have been in the NFL and it like he, his body didn't change much at all which was really really good for him I think that really hurt Hayne on his return um, yeah I wonder how how much it affects his game uh, whether it we see him um, taking on players physically a little bit more rather than just using his speed and that and I wonder if he if he continues to carry that little bit extra weight or if he decides no I need to lose that little bit of weight just to you know, for his agility and stuff like that. I reckon I reckon he'll keep it um, because 
the one thing that always stood out for me that I loved most about watching him play was his kick returns because he looked like this scrawny, tiny little thing. And yet every time he got the ball, he would run at a million miles an hour until he didn't care who. Mm. He didn't try and step anyone. He ran at them hard. And unbelievable for such a slight player to be like that. So for him to have put a little bit of extra mass and his muscle mass around his shoulders and his upper arms, um, that's just going to make him even harder to contain when he hits that line when he's doing the kick returns. Yeah, and, you know, I was just thinking then, um, a few years ago, it was him and Jason Tamalolo that went over together to do a little bit of tryout mm-hmm. for NFL teams. So they obviously have a, a fairly long relationship, you know, as, as friends and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, it's, I mean, it's that's one of the things I've not heard anybody talk about <laughs> in him returning to the Cowboys, is that friendship that he has with Tamalolo, that they've been on that journey together. Yeah. Um and isn't it incredible that when those they both went and did that, they were kind of I mean, they were so young. And now down the track and they're still very, very young. I mean, they're coming into the prime of their careers. That now between them they've had like sixteen years, sixteen million dollars worth of contract between them. Bloody incredible. Oh yeah, absolutely. It is. It's um, it's just crazy. And the thing is, too, a lot of people think that Holmes has been out of the game for a while. He actually played out all of the twenty eighteen season. He's only missed mm. one season. Yeah. Um. So you know, I don't think he's gonna. I I think just having one, and he's going to get pretty much a full off season as well because off season training's only recently started. He's only missed probably about a week. So he's going to get a full off-season as well. I think he's going to hit the ground running pretty much straight away from the start. And, man, he's the X factor that that Cowboy side has lost since oh, Thurston retired. He really And to is. get it to fullback. Um, unbelievable. I'd ex- I, I now expect the Cowboys to be a much better side. I'm not sure if the addition of him is enough to get him back into the eight yet but I expect them to be a lot more competitive. Okay, well, can you imagine, like, even if Holmes get, gets in and around that dummy half area off the back of Talmalolo runs, like, it's like, it's th- you know what it is? It's Thunder and Lightning. Oh. I just gave him a nickname, Thunder and Lightning. Oh, uh, we'll be using that hashtag all year, Thunder and oh, Lightning. I know. Like, that's so good. I kind of feel a little bit nauseous. It's that good. <laughs> You know what that is? That's NRL marketing genius. That really is. I can't wait to see that in a Fox Sports article that has heaps of your statistics in. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> see, what we'll do is when you put this podcast episode up, yeah, put that hashtag up so that you're the first one to do it. Okay. Okay. Thunder and lightning. Thunder and lightning. Let's do it. Very, very frightening. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? How dare I? I had to take it to the next level and make it worse. You did. Well, you know how it is. Easy come, easy go. <laughs> Trust me, I will not say Galileo. Um, now, one last bit of news to wrap it up. Mm-hmm. Um, Australian comedian and physical disability rugby league player Adam Hills has won the PDRL Player of the Year Award over there in England. 
joining the long list of Australian Rugby League players winning British Rugby League awards. We dominate every single level of Rugby League, and Adam Hills, he has now contributed at that. So congratulations, Adam. I didn't know Adam, and you told me this before the podcast, I didn't know he had any physical disability at all. I had no idea. There you go. Yeah, he's only got one foot. Yeah, no, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, as, as I said in that episode when we spoke to uh, Richard, mm-hmm. RFL needs to look at him and say, what, what do you need to have you promoting this game on your TV show more than what you currently do? Because he's doing more promotion work for this game around all of England than most of the RFL is. Yeah, he was yeah, talking about the Disability Rugby League on his show, which is nationwide and comes in Australia as well, while the RFL had gone and got um, that fat comedian bloke to talk like a Johnny git. Vegas. Yeah. I like Johnny Vegas, though. So. Johnny Vegas is great. <laughs> Johnny Vegas is like, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a Senate Howlands lad, and this is what we are, and unashamedly too. Yeah, and but like, it's yeah. getting him as the, you know, as the the main marketing front piece for rugby league in England. It's kind of like getting I don't know Kevin Bloody Wilson to do the NRL. He <laughs> 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 do the NRL theme song for the year. That is funny. The Santa Claus song. You can just change it around. Damn, <laughs> that's funny. That is so funny. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You gotta get someone with a yeah. You can get a comedian, but get someone with a bit of class and someone who's lovable and you know liked by everyone. Which Adam Hills just ticks all the boxes. Well, wouldn't if say you're the rugby football league, wouldn't you say, listen, Adam, what we'd really love to do is to have a bunch of our players come on your show and present you with your award, like stuff like that. Yeah, and present you with their jersey and and all that sort of thing. Maybe have his teammates show up. And, I mean, that would be beautiful just in the moment. Like, forget about the promotional stuff. That would be just a wonderful thing to happen. Um, yeah. But they won't. No, they'll completely miss the opportunity yeah, and just fine. leave him to do it all on his own bat. I mean, he's yeah. apparently there's talk that he's working on a on documentary about his time playing in the PDRL. Yeah, I, Richard sent me a, a link about, I think that was what that was. It was a link about... Uh, his uh, work with PDRL. So um, that'll be interesting to see. It's it's one of the areas of the game over in the UK that's it's actually gone pretty well. That and the women's game. I think the yeah. women's game over there is, like in terms of the competitiveness at international level, it's a, they're a little way behind. But I think that the, I think what we see over here with Australia and New Zealand is a little bit unique. I mean, Australia versus New Zealand with the women is almost like what state of origin was like, they've just gone to a completely different level, those two teams. Um, but the women's game over there, like with the play numbers and stuff is pretty, pretty damn strong. Really? It is. Yeah, it really is. That's why, that's why when the, uh, the English women came over here for the, um, the nines, Mm. it was generally disappointing to see how they performed. Whereas yeah. when the men on the men's lines tour, there's there was sort of a, an air of expectation that it was going to be a poor tour. Yeah, and that that kind of shows where the two the two um the two codes are at or the two competitions are at, I should say. Yeah, 
you know, the women's are generally the, the English team are generally a, one of the top nations, whereas the English side have been on the slide as we've said for forty years. Yeah, and I, I expect that they just the the English women they just need all they need is more games against Australia and New Zealand because those two, I mean, it's like you know. It's like a steel hardening steel sort of situation. Those two uh, nations have been a little bit unique. And I said this before a few weeks ago, New Zealand really started that and put it to the Aussie women and were like, this is where you need to be. And the Aussie women stepped up and then the New Zealand women stepped up again. And so uh, once the English women get enough games against those two teams and they manage to get up to that level, they're going to be really hard to beat because, as I said, it's they've got a lot of a lot of players, a lot of teams and stuff, and they'll go really well once they 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 get used to where they've got to be, basically. Yeah, um, and yeah, for the PDRL, I mean that that competition is is really strong over there in England, and a lot of that comes down to the work that Adam Hills has done, not just mm-hmm. on the field but off it as well. Um, so yeah, absolutely fitting that he wins that award. Yeah, congratulations, Adam. You, I'm sure he was very, very happy to win it, and it's it's just awesome. It's fantastic. Yeah, and if you ever want to come on the show, mate, get in touch with our people. <laughs> Me or I'm you? Sure we, I'm sure we can work something out. <laughs> yeah. Haven't we got a PR team? Kevin, isn't Kevin doing the PR for us? We'll have our people call your people, and when yeah. me and Andrew call you, please answer. Yeah. <laughs> We won't act like fans for too long. No, no. Just, you know, autograph would be nice, though. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> I'll come on your show and present you with your award. I was going to present the Salford Red Devils with their website address. I can present, you know, Adam Hills with his award. <laughs> you can do both at the same time. Yeah, why not? You can do it with your Thor hammer. Yeah, that'd be that'd go over well, hey? That'd be fantastic. Mm. Alrighty, well, uh, I suppose just before we wrap it up, have we had any more emails? Uh, did we? I feel like we did. Fire up the dial-in, fire up the dial-up modem. Yeah, here we go. Let's let's go through the process. <laughs> go on yeah, Just so everyone knows, this is on a... Uh, this, this is how Will League Freak looks after his, his, his uh, technology, is that that laptop he's got is... Uh, 30 years old. Is that correct? You recently upgraded to Windows 95? Uh, they've got a 95 now? Wow. Well, yeah. <laughs> that sounds all right. Just let me put in... Uh, still on 93. Still using, no, I'm still using DOS. Remember DOS? Oh, God, Remember DOS. When you, did you have a computer ever where you had to... And I'm probably calling it the wrong thing. What do you know? What it's actually called? What's that? DOS. When you go DOS. back to DOS. The DOS was a, a language, is it not? I, I don't know. I just remember you. From memory, you would typed be in, in commands. Windows. Hey, you typed in commands and stuff. Command prompts and stuff. Yeah. 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 I'm yeah, pretty I, sure that that's a language. See, I feel as though what you do is you would jump out of Windows, basically shut down Windows, and you'd go back to that, and then you would fire up Doom from there, from memory. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I was in primary school, and boy, I'm about to show my age here, 
Mm-hmm. We use these computers that were called Apple IIe. Apple IIe, huh? Are they the ones where it had the, uh, it was the square box and it had the little floppy disk drive in the front? Yeah, except the floppy disks were those, were, they were actually were floppy disks. They were, yeah. Ten, I think they were 10 centimeter square disks and they yeah. were just paper thin. And yeah. I think they carried about, I don't know, 20K in, of data in size. Yeah, see, those ones put me... It's hilarious, right? Those computers put me off of Apple computers for longer than I... Well, you know how long they put me off of yeah. Apple computers for. They were... Because that, they that were green, green flickering screen. Yeah, and there was nothing you could do on them. Like, they were compatible with zero. Mm-hmm. They were so bad. Yeah, that yeah. put me off of Apple computers for forever. I don't even know if they had a... Uh... A, a GUI, a graphic user interface. I think it was all just you put a disk in and waited for it to load up and something happened. Well, I can't remember that. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. I was, I, was, I was there when, when Macintosh first came out and you got a mouse with your computer. <laughs> That's how old I am, people. And now they called them a Mac. Yeah. MacBooks and stuff like that. Now you, now you get a mobile phone which has 50 million times more memory space than any of those computers back then and all the disks in the world. Well, like remember, and this was going back about 10 years, when the mobile phones got to a point where they were like, okay, now they're more powerful than all the computers that were used to put um, the Apollo space missions on the moon. Yes. And now, and now they're like so that. much quicker than that. Like you get a, an iPhone from back then, it's a hunk of junk. Yeah. So <laughs> people have now got a, a, a mini computer in their pocket, which is more powerful than what it took to get men on the moon. And people today are using it to send pictures of their genitals to one another. Haven't Pretty we advanced much. as a, haven't we so advanced so much as a society? It's been beautiful. <laughs> if you want to send pictures of your genitals to us, just send us them at uh, podcast at leaguefreak.com. And uh, speaking of that email address, did you did you manage? To, we managed to um, pat out a fair bit of time there. Did you manage to open up the email and have a look see if there's anything in there? Yeah, nothing. Ah, we got we got all of our emails out the way the other day. Um, we did indeed. So, yeah. I was thinking, yeah, well, I got some emails, but it was just you know there were other emails that I told you about. Ah, the ones we'd already read. Yeah, yeah. So never mind. Maybe <sighs> maybe next time, eh? This happens from time to time. We do yeah. have um, another another um, review. Oh, do we? I didn't know that. Yeah. Is it a good it's um, Champagne Saint from Great oh. Britain. Yeah. This is the best rugby league podcast that there is. It's not even a year old, but it's now the number one podcast for me. I generally can't wait for the next one. I'm a St. Helens and Great Britain fan, so it sometimes pisses me off. But yeah. <laughs> but you have accurate statistics backed up with conversation that is realistic and engaging. Virgo is a wally list of facts, and League Freak is to podcasting what Matthew Elliott is to coaching. <laughs> this is the best podcast out there. Keep it up, guys. Hashtag Packer to Panthers. <laughs> I like this guy. <laughs> Sounds like a fucking arsehole to me, Andrew. <laughs> he basically said all of my trigger words. <laughs> he did. Bastard. <laughs> At least it was nice. It is nice to like 
it, it, I don't mind people having a go at me like that, but as long as it's nice and they give us a five-star review, that's all that matters to me. Uh, Bastard. He, he, he got the comedy straight away. He did. There we go. Yeah, at least my team doesn't play a totally wicked stadium, hey? <laughs> totally wicked. Fucking prick. Uh, could have been the, the Mendehose jungle. <laughs> to me, that sounds like a horrible place to go to work. It really does. You've got to go to a, a jungle of broken hoses and you need to fix them. Mendehose jungle. That doesn't sound good. Nah. Anyway, on that great note... Mm. That, that's another great podcast wrapped up um yeah you did really well today andrew yeah i just sort of sat here and, and let you talk a lot which is um when i'm doing my best work did i talk too much in this podcast no because if you didn't talk as much as you do i would have had to do something okay yeah so it's good that you talk talk a fair bit i'll i'll put the uh i'll put the invoice in with the people <laughs> we're like this is the invoice is like Six. What was? Let's say today, fifty-five, forty-five. 55. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, "Oh, really?" Well, when you look at the preparation, sucker, you're down to thirty percent. I'll be like, <laughs> again. This is the thing, though. Is that there'll be a time when I've got to do another history episode, which will be coming up in the next few days. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'll be doing so much talking, people will go, "Yeah, we kind of." That's probably the one downside to the history episodes is Andrew talks too much. <laughs> no, they're not going to say that. They'll be like all of this information and stuff. It feels like there's, I don't know. Wait, Stop talking. Fat. I feel like fat was trimmed out of this podcast. <laughs> I know the next one we're going to do, because we've talked about it, and I like there's a couple of little things I know about that moment in time, only because you've told me, really. Um, but, yeah, I feel like in that episode I'm going to be like, and here's Andrew Ferguson. <laughs> Talk. <sit> there. Yeah. <laughs> Speak. <laughs> Speak. That'll be it. Um, yeah, you can get in touch with us at uh, on the uh, at on Twitter at uh, Fergo Freak Pod. We are now over at LinkedIn. Make yeah, sure you get in there and check it out. Yeah, get on that. Uh, follow us. We post uh, the podcast episodes on there, so that's pretty cool. And we we do a little bit of different stuff on there really it's kind of uh all business oh, all business we are professionals over there mm. all professionals yeah I, I can't really go much further into that i don't know what being extra professional is but that's what we're doing over there apparently i'm pretty sure it has something to do with earning money and it might have something to do with that there's also less swearing over there well, actually i haven't seen any swearing yet there's been zero swearing on there. Hey, that's really the yeah. only um, thing where we don't swear. Well, me. I can't we, pretend like you go around swearing everywhere. <laughs> We're using LinkedIn to say our parents are on there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm on my best behavior. Yep. Um, so that's check that's that out on there. Yeah. Um, also, check us out on YouTube. Subscribe. Like every video. That'd be fantastic. And as always, tune in. For the next episode, just around the corner.